0: Scanosego, Ani, Bojo, Kwei Kwei, Tansi, and good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, on Element FM, and you are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa 106.5 in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, you can always download the Radio Canada app and listen anywhere across the country. You can also listen online anywhere around the world. This morning on Moment of Truth, we have a couple of people in the studios. And they're going to be actually sharing a microphone, so we're going to be uh, dealing with that little bit of, a, of, of an issue as we, we talk about some very important issues this morning on the show. Environmental defense, uh, that is the name of the, uh, the organization that these two gentlemen represent. Tim Gray is the executive director, and Vito Wonsante is the plastic program manager. I hope I've said that right, uh, Vito. You did. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and um, uh, Tim actually grew up on the shores of Lake Huron. Tim, whereabouts on Lake Huron? Saubel Beach. Saubel Beach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I used to go up there quite a lot to uh, to Port Elgin area. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful place. If you didn't know you were on a lake and you were looking west for a sunset and you took a picture and sent it to someone, they'd think you were in the South Seas, I think. It's oh, just they totally
1: a, would, Yeah. There's like a 15-kilometer-long beach at Sabal, yeah. and there's a beautiful one in yeah. Port Algan. Yeah, it's great. Yes,
0: it's quite a beautiful place. Warm water, great place to go and visit, although it's changing a little bit. The wind's come up quite a bit over the last number of years. Um, so, yeah, that's, a, that's a as you are saying, it's a beautiful area. Of mm-hmm. course, you've got the, uh, the Bruce Nicular plant up there as well, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to the south of Port Algan, towards King Carden. There's yeah. a huge nuclear plant there. It keeps the water even warmer.
0: <laughs> that it does. <laughs> uh, I had the pleasure of actually uh, doing uh, some, wor- some work there uh, in an unrelated manner. It was video work there and uh, going on their grounds, uh, actually, the way they keep the grounds. Uh, lots of animals, mm. uh, wild animals. It's almost a sanctuary for, mm. in many ways for, for what's going on uh, for them. Uh, but anyway, uh, perhaps uh, you could tell us a little bit about environmental defense. What is environmental defense? What's it there for? What is its purpose?
1: Yeah, so Environmental Defence is a Canadian charity, and we are focused on environmental protection from the name. You've Mm -hmm. probably figured that out. Um, And we focus on uh, advocacy, so linking citizens in Canada to making change either with business or with uh, government. Um, We motivate individual action, but a lot of our uh, focus is on trying to harness the energy of citizens to make collective change. Uh, we work in areas of plastics which is what Vito uh, specializes in we have a toxics program as well toxic chemicals a freshwater program with a lot of folks on the Great lakes um, and uh, a climate program as well that's that's our largest one and then we do a lot of work around the GTA around what we call livable communities so that's protection of the green belt uh, trying to change transportation systems trying to get rid of the the gridlock that exists in the city that we were talking about a little <laughs> earlier um, so that's the sweep of our programs, we have an office here in Toronto, which is our largest one, uh, one in Ottawa, and we've been operating a program in, in Alberta for a while as well.
0: So they all sound like huge issues. They are. <laughs> and they're all connected. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, when did the business start? When did you guys start?
1: Yeah, uh, it started in 1985, and its focus originally was more on providing uh, lawyers to people that were actually getting into court battles around particular environmental issues, mm. And then it's changed over time, and now we do a lot more policy and public engagement work. Um, and it's grown a lot, of course. Yeah. Um, it was just a few lawyers got together to, to create the organization, but now we have about 30 staff and three and a half million dollar budget and stuff. So it's it's changed a lot. and it's grown with the public awareness of the need to address environmental issues um, and a, a growing awareness that something needs to be done. Uh, and a lot of policy development work, you know new ideas about how to solve complicated problems come from the environmental sector. Um, government has made itself smaller over the years. You know, they've laid off their staff that used to do, uh, come up with creative solutions to problems, and a lot of that expertise now lies in organizations like ours. And so we spend a lot of time trying to solve problems for industry and government and, uh, you know, link the public into that and generate public support for our new solutions.
0: Has there been a change in regard to businesses themselves in terms of uh, for instance, are they bringing people on to deal with environmental issues that they may be challenged with from their own side of the of the fence
1: there is um you know there's it, it varies um there are businesses that have recognized that there's money to be made in environmental solutions, and those that have made that uh, you know had that awareness and brought on people to take advantage of that market niche have done well. Um, there is also, though, a lot of greenwashing from some of the you know the more traditional resource industries.
0: Can you explain what do you mean by greenwashing? Greenwashing
1: is hiring someone who's your vice president of sustainability who goes around saying how sustainable you are while you say, do the same old stuff you've always done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. there's right. a fair amount of that, in particular within uh, traditional resource extraction industries like the fossil fuel industry, for example. You see a lot of uh, commercials on television, et cetera, about how uh, green this or that oil Mm -hmm. company is. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they're spending hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in Ottawa or at Queen's Park lobbying to make sure that the laws that would change to actually solve the problems they're creating never change. So a lot of that is what we call
0: greenwashing. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate that they're hiring people to go around to say that instead of doing something about it, where they could take the money and, and put it towards actually doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is there, though, um, is, there a, is there a change happening? Like, I mean, is, is there actually movement being... Being, you know forward on this on these issues
1: for sure um you know we uh, <clears throat> operate an organization sort of as part of our work uh called the clean economy alliance and that has 110 different organizations in it many of them are businesses and that uh, grouping of, of businesses and civil society organizations um supported the development of the climate plan here in ontario by the last government so uh supported bringing in a carbon price, you know, put a price on pollution, taking that money and spending it on things like home energy retrofits and helping schools replace their windows and um, subsidies for people to buy electric cars or hybrid cars. So we worked mm. on the whole design side of that with mm. a, a bunch of companies that uh, do want to see change and recognize that there's a way to employ people and make money and uh, solve environmental problems together. So there are, are people that are on side with that, um, for sure, the challenge for Canadian society or the world right now is that there's a lot of people that are very afraid of where things are going. They want to pretend that we can keep doing things the way that we've done them for the last hundred years. And as a result, they dig in. I mean, you see this coming in particular in in the U.S. right now where it's very dramatic. You know, you have a, a president who's on Twitter every day saying that, you know, climate change isn't real. Um, But it's sort of psychologically understandable in a way, like when you're faced with this need to make such a massive change in the way things have been unfolding for the last hundred years, a lot of people respond to that by just saying, no, it's not real, it's not happening, and I don't want to make any change, everything will be fine as long as I just keep doing what I'm doing, but... It's very clear that that, you know, that point of view will lead to disaster unless we...
0: It's a very selfish uh, approach, isn't it? When they think, I mean, if they have kids or grandkids, I mean, who's the the world going to be, they're leaving it to if they don't make change? Yeah,
1: Donald Trump's a really good example. He has, uh, you know, kids that are, you know, sort of young middle age, but he also has like a a 12-year-old son. Mm. Uh, So I don't know how you, as the President of the United States, get on Twitter or on media and say that climate change is fake news when you look across the table at your 12-year-old son.
0: Mm. Now, you know, you talked about credits and you talked about, um, you know, some of these, these, these things that you've, you've helped to implement or tried to help to Im- implement. So what is your sense of, of what's going on here, even in Ontario, with the government uh, saying, you know, the carbon tax is, is, you know, the worst thing ever and, you know, it's our doom and gloom?
1: Well, there's some fake news for you right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's very clear that uh, carbon pricing, you know, isn't the only thing that we need to do to address climate change. Mm. Uh, there are many other things that you can do as well. Um, the unfortunate problem we have in Ontario with this new government is that not only are they fighting carbon pricing, which all economists agree is the most efficient, effective way to change our overall uh, pricing for energy, and therefore it's consumption of it, but they're not doing the rest of the things you would need to do if you weren't doing carbon pricing. Mm-hmm. So, um We need all hands on deck. You need to be thinking about how do we transform our energy system in a a, a very compressed time period. Like most, most of the evidence shows that we need to uh, decarbonize, which you know, take the fossil fuel, the emissions out of our energy system over about the next ten years. So that means electric cars, that means electric streetcars, electric trucks, electric trains. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to stop heating our houses with gas fairly soon. And so to do those things, government has to play a leading role. They have to uh, raise the revenue to uh, make it possible for the individuals to make those changes. And we've seen it work. We know that, uh, for example, with solar energy, that the early uh, investment and subsidization of that industry, you know, 10, 15 years ago, massively kickstarted it. And every single industry over the last 100 years that went from nowhere to uh, running full tilt um, always did so with early government investment. And you know, one that's very controversial now, of course, is the tar sands in Alberta. Mm. They didn't get going because of private capital. They mm. got going because government support. It turns out that we have to do something else now because of what we've learned about climate change. But it's the same with solar panels. And they've now dropped right. 90% in price. So now they're at right. scale. Governments are having auctions, like in Alberta 10 days ago, for uh, renewable energy fr- in the form of solar. And the bids coming in from the people in the private sector to build these things are lower than gas, mm. so you know, we we need to have the government revenue available to move these technologies forward until they're at the point of commercialization, and then we can deploy them.
0: You know, you mentioned uh, that some people see the opportunity for uh, the, the possibility of of generating money, making it a money adventure. But there's two sides to this issue, is there mm-hmm. not? It's one, uh, which I was going to ask you about, is that generate, being able to generate money from this and mm-hmm. turn it into a plus. Yeah. Um, and the more I think we, we look at those opportunities, the better we'll all be because they'll generate the jobs that will probably be lost by changing over technologies. Yeah. That's, that's one. Is that safe to say?
1: For sure. I mean, all of the evidence shows that we're going to be much further ahead economically, and that's both in terms of employment and in terms of revenue generation uh, for governments or for industry, by getting in front of this issue now. Uh, The costs of inaction are are overwhelming. I mean, at some point when they become so severe, systems don't work anymore, and then money doesn't even matter, Mm. right? Like if you can't, uh, for a city like Toronto, for example, if the food systems that feed this concentration of millions of people who don't grow any of their own food. If we're not able to grow it in California or other places and ship it to the food terminal here in Toronto every single day, how many days is it until uh, people are are starving? Like, mm-hmm. and the whole planet is increasingly right. like that. Yeah. So you know, there's uh, there's money to be made and profits to be made, and then the alternative is. No money to be made. <laughs> so it's it's fairly clear. Um, and we really need to think as, as Canadians, when we go to the ballot box, and we're going to be doing that uh, this fall, uh, to think about very carefully about who is offering the best program of addressing this. And even the ones that are offering the best to make sure that you're showing up at those all-candidates meetings and saying, how come they're not doing more? Because mm. this is the only issue we should be concerned about when we vote.
0: And of course... Uh You mentioned scientists. Scientists have been telling us this for generations, like 40 years or so, and saying this is what's going to happen and we haven't done anything. That's Uh, true.
1: And yesterday, the UN Environment Program released their uh, global uh, overview, which looks at climate change, but also the impact on food systems and oceans and biodiversity and how all these things are linked, linked together. And the certainty which uh, the scientists that inform that uh, have uh, come to agreement, and they actually write in the degree of certainty in all their, all their policy summaries, is astounding. So there's absolutely no reason for inaction. There's uh, also no reason uh, not to move on the technological side to address some of these issues because we're clearly capable of doing it. So it's really about uh, the power of of the incumbent uh, fossil fuel industry in many areas, especially Canada, mm. is the reason why we do not move. Uh, their power over the political process is is stopping this country and other countries from moving ahead.
0: There's an unknown in all of this, isn't there? And I think we, we've kind of been seeing this or hearing about it a little bit, and that is that um, all the numbers that you were talking about, the crunching of the numbers that scientists have been doing, um, in, in recent times, they're, they're saying, well, this is happening a lot faster than we had anticipated at this mm. point. Uh, we didn't realize that that it's sort of compounding uh, an effect that's happening.
1: That's true, and I think part of the reason why things uh, things related to climate change are happening much more quickly than uh, the science community seem to be talking about is that they're under incredible pressure, especially if you go back 10, 15 years ago, uh, under political pressure to only talk about the things that they had ninety-five or ninety-nine percent certainty that were going to happen. Well, in something as uh, volatile as the climate system, or uh, something in a situation where the the risks of the change are so high, we as the public probably wanted to know about the fifty percent and sixty and seventy percent probability, but we didn't because there was so much pressure on them to be conservative. So I am not surprised, and I think most people that watch this closely, ten or fifteen years, you know, from 2000 or 2005, I don't think any of us are surprised to see the manifestation of this to be so severe because the scientists knew it. It's just that we were setting up systems to make sure that we couldn't hear them.
0: Yeah, isn't that just so encouraging? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry to ruin your lunch hour. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so... So what, what, what are we, I mean, you know, one of the things we, we want to talk about is plastics, mm-hmm. but, but there's so many other things as mm-hmm. well. Um, what would you say, uh, you know, Vito, we'll get to you. We want to talk about plastics for sure. Um, but what, what would you guys say is, you know, you talked about the environment, mm-hmm. the big issues. Uh, water, of course, is a massive issue in terms mm-hmm. of keeping uh, uh, this this planet clean and healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, without water, we have no life. Uh, mm-hmm. We hear so many stories about what we're doing to this planet. Mm-hmm. Do you think people realize that this is a living organism?
1: Well, I think some people do. Um, yeah, I think it depends on your cultural background. I mean, some people, I think, have a cultural background that is very open to understanding that, in fact, that's true. Um, and I think a lot of uh, people in, in Western society are not so equipped for that uh, psychologically, culturally, religiously. Um, you know, we, you know, I know I grew up in a in a in a Protestant religion where you know, Earth was sort of there to be to be used up, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was sort of the worldview that was mm-hmm. taught at the time. Uh, you know, we were the masters of it, and it was mm-hmm. there to make us happy and feed us, and not to uh, be respected or seen as something uh, uh, important unto itself. Mm-hmm. So clearly that worldview is, is a problem and needs to change. Uh, I think we've been helped by new worldviews from that. I mean, when you see those images from outer space taken from the space station or listen to what astronauts say yeah. who are a product of you know Western culture, but they stand out there and they're like, you know, we're done. We, we no longer see the world as just this like collection of resources. Right. We know what it's all about now. We've seen it. Yeah. So, uh, And we have to look at it that way or... or or we'll have
0: to face the consequences. Well, we could uh, get into another another uh, conversation all about whether it's round or flat, right? So- <laughs> <laughs> we could, but that wouldn't go very far. <laughs> no, I, I just thought about that from all the all the uh, the, the news out there about that kind of thing. Um, okay, so you've mentioned that, you know plastics. You've mentioned you've talked about you uh, know uh, you you talked about. How you know we were just talking about the disappearance of of our um, our parking areas. Mm-hmm. You said you were happy to see that, but uh, again, in our urban societies, one of the big things, especially in northern societies and such as is Ontario, we put a lot of salt down on the roads in the winter time, and that all runs off into our our water. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, uh, the, we've also, as you guys have pointed out, we've paved over this wonderful farm area uh in southern ontario and we keep doing that we take up we we move into the areas that uh that we produce the the food we need and expand into those areas instead of uh, looking for you know like las vegas is probably a great example of of turning a desert into a you know a wonderful a wonderful area Mm -hmm. um we 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 look for the easiest solution
2: and the cheapest yeah Yeah.
1: that's true um yeah well on in terms of farmland, southern Ontario is a good example, a good place to look at for our listeners in the Toronto area. Ottawa has some similarities too. I mean, as Canadians, we quite often think of ourselves and living in this you know, vast landscape, and therefore we don't need to worry about conserving land. But if you live in southern Ontario, uh, it's a lot more like Europe, right? The actual amount of productive land and the way that uh, cities are densely spread across that uh, small amount of of fertile land uh, makes it a lot like uh, Europe in terms of population density and, and the need to address farmland loss. So it's very important that places like the Greenbelt, which are you know, protecting farmland, um, stay protected and not become sprawling subdivisions. Uh, it's important that we have local sources of uh, food. It's important that we have forest cover to make sure that as flood events get worse because of climate change, that we're not getting flooded out and that all the pollutants aren't going into the lake where we get our drinking water. And then we build uh, public transit infrastructure so we're not increasing our reliance on, on cars and, and other things that both ruin our quality of life because we spend you know, three hours a day commuting, mm. but also are, are polluting the environment. So land use is a critical part of addressing these problems. And it's also uh, a key economic negative in this region. We know that. And Board of Trade talks about that all the time, about how gridlock and sprawl and poor planning is costing us jobs and costing us uh, economic prosperity in this region.
0: Not to mention the stress that it puts on everyone uh, just having to deal with that daily kind of yeah, a, no, experience.
1: And
2: I guess they're, they're all connected issues, as we were saying about oh. climate change, like the fact of continue, this continued sprawl that uh, leads for people to use more cars and to use more gas and, and to have... And then, you know, uh, I think one of the most positive changes that I see, and that's why I was referring to seeing less parking lots, is that, you know, wh- while we transition to... Uh, from away from uh, fossil fuels, like we give more importance to public transport and, and really to walking more and, and to building more communities. And, and really, the, the, the idea of sprawling is, is just like more isolating oneself in, mm. in remoter in more remote areas. So, I think like there's a lot of this change which we need to still embrace. Uh, and a lot of people are resisting uh, to the embracing that change, is going to bring a lot of positive sides in the quality of our life.
0: Yeah. uh, You know, we have to take a pause. Perhaps this is a great spot to do that. Uh, And we'll come back and talk with Tim Gray and Vito Bonsade right after this on Element FM. We are back on Element FM. You're listening to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. In the studio with us today, we have two people from Environmental Defense, Tim Gray and Vito Bonsade. And uh, Tim Gray is the executive director. We, Vito is the plastics m- program manager. We've been talking about some very interesting issues uh, having to do with uh, the environment, of course. I want to go back to uh, something that, that you mentioned, uh, Tim. And, and uh, Vito, you're more than welcome to chime in here as well. And that is, you, you know, we started off the program. You, you talked about the, some of the incentives and credits that had been, had been uh, uh, uh Put forth to help people with making change look to more environmental uh, friendly uh, travel, for instance, electric cars and things. But of course, Ontario just uh, just axed some of the credits uh, for electric cars. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if it was just just uh, towards one of the vehicles, but one of them certainly is challenging that. Um, what do you guys What do you guys make of that?
1: Yeah, there was a, a program to provide uh, rebates for people that were buying electric cars. So if you bought a fully electric car, you got the the maximum. But if you bought a plug-in hybrid, you got less. And if you bought a hybrid, you got a little bit less. So it was effective. It was causing uh, or creating lots of uh, demand for electric vehicles here. Um, and it was canceled. Uh, it was canceled early for Tesla. Which, mm-hmm. uh, and they sued. And, and they actually won. Um, oh, did they did. So they were happy about that, I guess. Yes, they were. <laughs> um, but the and what's happened, of course, now is that it's made. But, a but fr- it, didn't,
0: it didn't make a difference to him him canceling the credit. Is no, that-
1: it's it's all been canceled. Um, but what's as a result, uh, you obviously don't get the credit anymore here in Ontario. But it's also very difficult to get electric cars here in Ontario, even if you want to buy one without a credit, because other jurisdictions like Quebec and British Columbia have credit programs. And uh, in fact, in Quebec, they have a, a mandate that. The manufacturers have to sell a certain percentage of of green cars. So all the cars are being shipped there. So uh, the absence of a credit system here also is, is changing the, the supply, unfortunately.
0: Well, we're not that far away from Quebec. So. That's
1: true. You can just drive to Quebec and pick up your car. <laughs> especially if you're in Ottawa.
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> especially
1: right. if you're in Ottawa. Yeah, yeah, so all you folks in Ottawa, you know, get, get across the border and uh, support the Quebec car dealers.
0: <laughs> okay. Now, the other thing we talked about in that regard to travel, uh, Vito, you mentioned this, uh, and that is with technology, uh, you get, this isn't specifically related to what you guys necessarily do, but with, with the fact that we are such a connected society now, technology makes it so much easier for people to work from their home. Mm-hmm. to work. You don't even have to go to the city for, for many things anymore. You could work from your home without the travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I, you know, I'm wondering why we're not doing that more often. You guys have a comment on well, that?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's there's, there's a, technology has brought a lot of change, and uh, you know, not all of that probably has been positive, but uh, you know, uh, I think more and more of like virtual meetings happen, and people travel much less. We certainly mm-hmm. like travel mm-hmm. much less than we used to like. Uh, uh, on the other hand, like this is a personal <laughs> reflection sure. I do prefer like the you know the human contact uh, and, yeah. uh, and you know like the, the the merit of of being able to discuss you know if we if we were on the phone, it would have been have have had a different vibe no instead question. of being he, here in studio so uh but surely like especially for you know i i on top of that, I live in Hamilton. Mm uh and it's a, it's a hard commute because like the public transport system is not the best and I rather not drive uh uh to come to Toronto every day uh but I do appreciate the those day or two that I spend at home uh, uh working from home so it gives me the possibility also of mm-hmm. like not traveling and being more productive and mm-hmm. sometimes even more creative so Surely uh, a, a transition in that sense and uh, some incentives in that sense are, are always welcome.
1: Yeah, we're seeing... Uh, there's an interesting article I read the other day about this where certain rural areas... You know, there's been a real depopulation of rural areas in Canada, right? Many, many areas have lost population to larger urban centers. But there's exceptions to that rule where the reverse trend is happening and where those places have amenities that are um, you know, either related to the natural environment or cultural amenities that are 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 popular and people like... Is you're seeing people to actually moving back to these places, and it is very much driven by the ability to work remotely. So people that, you know, are writers or, um, you know, they're not physically required to be in the same place, um, moving to these areas. And uh, as a result, one of the the infrastructure requirements for a lot of these towns to succeed is uh, high speed internet, of course, because. You can't really do that kind of work unless you yeah, uh, no, for sure. can get on a Zoom meeting or something, you know, <laughs> and right. be able to do live video call yes. with people that you're working with. Yep. So, it is happening, and uh, that may, uh, you know, help to re- reduce some of the urbanization pressure that exists broadly around the world uh, that is driving up, you know, house and condo prices and rents and all kinds of stuff. It'd be nice if some people could uh, live in those rural areas, and if that could be facilitated by technology,
2: and especially like regain that contact with nature that we you know consumerism seems to be removing uh, oh. from us and and you know you don't even have to be like a, uh in a creative position i have a friend who is a, who is an accountant Yeah, he moved uh, out in a cottage in a remote cottage and he can do everything online and exactly. he, just, he just needs a, an internet connection so mm-hmm.
0: yeah. and that's the kind of thing i guess i was i was referring to yeah. uh and and uh, as you say so, so as we we continue to Grow uh, as we were talking about more condos going up. The stress on the city life is getting uh, more congested, uh, and everyone's life is getting more congested. And in, in, in from this, uh, you know, I, I think that one of the one of the things in areas that that uh, you guys deal with is this this one with plastics. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, when i when I first heard that, the first thing that that came into my mind um, was remembering something I heard about with fish and birds. And it had to do with uh, uh cans that uh like beer cans when they're in the plastic ring uh-huh. uh, that that are thrown out you get choked. And they get yeah, they get choked, they get caught around their neck and uh they either drown or they they you know it, it's it's horrible and it, and, it, and and until I I heard that I went yeah my God, like that's it's something somebody wouldn't even think about just tossing. But then I, of course, I saw the solution: you just cut it up, uh-huh. and that prevents that from happening, at least for the animals. Uh-huh. Um, you still deal with the the plastics that are being generated. You guys are specifically talking about, uh, I think, single-use plact- plastics, and and what do you mean by single-use plastics?
2: Um, well, I mean, uh, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's not a new thing that. Uh, um, wildlife gets choked in yeah. many ways by by plastics yep. just because they can you know mistake it for food mm-hmm. and, and we see like that pretty much I think I read somewhere that over ninety percent of all seabirds have plastics in their stomachs. Uh not not a great uh no. not a great image obviously. Um but the reason why we we focus on, on uh on single use plastics, so that would mean like anything that is meant to not to be durable so like all the packaging that you get or like uh, a plastic fork or straw like the straw seems to be a bit the symbol of like the fight against against the against single-use plastic so you use it once you throw it away or maybe use it twice like a plastic bag you may use it twice those flimsy ones but that's that's what
0: but are they not recyclable
2: well, so, I mean, single-use is because you use it once. Yes, That's understood. But
0: but I, I guess people might misunderstand, which I was trying to clarify, because yeah. when I think of single-use, it's like it can't be recycled. So it, it, if it can be recycled, yes, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It's, you only use it once, you toss it, but exactly. it can go into the recycling. Yeah,
2: I mean, the reason okay. why we don't put the, the massive stress on recycling is that we, you know, we realized that recycling is not the solution to every problem, like... In the sense that, you know, in Canada, only recycles 11% of its plastics mm. waste. Wow. 11% is not a lot. No, right? <laughs> that's it, for it sure. Sounds, it sounds quite little. And, uh, and, uh, and we know that there's a lot of, it, uh, of the plastic that ends up in, uh, in our waterways, in our oceans and in Great Lakes. There was a study a couple of years ago that estimated that uh, about 10,000 tons of plastic end up in the Great Lakes every year you know that's 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 a huge like uh so how much you diffi- ten thousand tons a year isn't that a lot for yeah. our, for our lakes yeah and uh, and in the oceans uh it's it's about eight million tons a year so but but i think like stressing that uh, our Great Lakes are, are impacted so severely. is also a, a, a wake up call for for us in Canada to say like this is our problem, and it's not all, You know, it's not a problem of the oceans. Like you know, climate change. We contribute only a certain percentage, but you know, this is this is something here affecting us here and now. And and the consequences of of all this plastic is all, also that to say, plastic breaks up in little pieces. Yeah, it becomes gets eaten micro, by fishes, yeah. and then it gets eaten by you if you like fish, or I certainly do.
0: <laughs> yeah, can you describe that process? I know that it takes a long time to break down, first yeah, of all. Yeah, I mean, not but, even But that it way. does eventually go down to the micro... Uh, so, side.
2: yeah, I mean, the science is, is uh, you know, like you often uh, read, uh, or I used to check, like how long does it take to biodegrade for certain plastic products? Like it turns out that, you know, there's no certainty that... Uh, these products will always will will ever biodegrade like uh, and and they just break down in smaller and smaller pieces. Uh, just a little reminder ninety nine percent of all plastic is made out of fossil fuels yeah. so this is again connected to right. to, to the same to, to the main topic of 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 climate change. The more we keep on extracting fossil fuels, the more plastic yeah. we will have, the more cheap plastic we will have and so once it gets into the environment it just breaks down in, in smaller pieces uh, through various processes, and, uh, and it just stays there, or it gets eaten by fishes, then it gets eaten by us, and, and just, like, it just stays into the environment forever.
0: Now, you said 90% of plastics, so is there, is there a 10% uh, option? Uh,
2: there's a small percentage that is not made of, of fossil fuel.
0: What um, is that made from?
2: can be made out of like you know bio like it can be made out of corn it can be made Mm. out of food waste uh, the 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 but the the end is like it becomes plastic anyway and and Mm. much of this plastic doesn't biodegrade in 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 the environment and so right it can be a problem so like our our focus is like let's try to reduce our dependency on on plastics like i was just in the supermarket across the street, and I I, I notice certain certain aisles. There was nothing else but but plastic. Like you you know, want to buy lunch, and you you know you consume your lunch. It takes what fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, and then that plastic is gonna yeah. last forever. Yeah. sounds sounds not the best use of our resource.
0: No. Um. Now, when you when you you say that, because we do use a lot of it in our in our packaging, and one of the things that really upsets me when I see it is small items in large packaging, mm-hmm. and uh, I know the reason for that is twofold. One, uh, that, that they want their product to be seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the other side of that, unfortunately, is is an anti theft uh, prevention because mm-hmm. the larger the package, it's much less uh, likely that it's going to be put into somebody's pocket. But that's a huge amount of waste with with large packaging for small items.
2: Well, it's also it's kind of free, right? To to pollute like the plastic is per se is is, is quite cheap, and you know, yeah. like in Canada, we also produce quite a bit of plastics, and uh, and the cost of fuel is super cheap. So making making plastic is cheap. But there's also the thing that you know these producers that put put this plastic on the market don't have to pay. For the cost or very little of the cost of of you know taking r- getting rid of this plastic what what happens to it and you know they just put it on the product and then once it gets home they don't care like and so they, they will keep on putting more and more unless you know we make them responsible for the the mess they're creating
0: okay so how is your battle going with plastics
1: well you know it's it's going better in some countries than others. Uh, Canada is, uh, as Vito said, is way behind on this issue. You know, we we produce more per capita waste here in Ontario than anywhere else in the world. Really? Um, probably the the best uh, jurisdiction in Canada would be British Columbia. They've uh, moved, are slowly moving towards a system where the the producers of the waste actually have to pay for it. Mm. And you know, we find this. It's sort of similar to the principle around putting a price on carbon. As soon as you put a price on dumping stuff into the environment so that it's no longer free. The whole economic system then focuses on minimizing that cost because all the companies that are producing this stuff want to make as much profit as mm. possible, and therefore all kinds of plastic packaging and stuff, if they have to collect it, count it, recycle it, um, or pay a fine or, or have their taxes increased, you can bet that all the accountants on their little spreadsheets within those companies are going to uh, try and minimize that cost. And that, so we see that happen. You know, for example, um, just something that's probably closer to home, people understand uh, more clearly, is that in British Columbia, they have a deposit return system on plastic bottles. So right. here in Ontario, we don't. And you can walk down the street in front of this studio, and I bet in five minutes, I can find 100 plastic bottles yeah. squished on the curb. Yeah. Because they have no value. Right, They're just garbage. But in British Columbia, you will never see one in the streets of Vancouver because they have a monetary value, and therefore, they end up being collected, recycled, and reused. Um we need to bring that kind of system in here. In fact, Ontario and Manitoba, the only two places in Canada now that don't have a deposit return system on plastic water bottles and plastic pop bottles. And it makes no sense. We know it works. <laughs> uh, we do it with beer bottles here yeah. in Ontario. And 98% of the beer bottles sold come back because they have
0: a price on them.
1: And, and
0: uh, I mean, it can't be that difficult to implement. It's but. not. It's not.
2: Well, it, it it already works for the for the beer models, <laughs> for the, so uh, clearly it can work. We've been well, doing it for 100 well, years. among so. the reason why it doesn't happen is because like some big companies have have yeah. a lot of power over this, right? Like they there we they go. don't they don't want it, and it, they, they 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 tell our politicians it's gonna make you know it's gonna be a cost. They don't want to pay that cost. You know, like it, it was interesting because uh, Coca Cola just announced, uh, I think was yesterday, that they. Put, and they they never wanted to to uh, share that number with anyone that they every year put on the market three uh, million tons of plastic packaging every year Wow so you know imagine like that's one company one company. that's one yes. company uh, you know uh, in the Canadian government estimates that one percent of the plastic uh, waste that is generated goes gets leaked into the environment imagine. Like one percent of 3, billion, uh, 3 million tons, you know, uh, it's it's quite a lot, and and there's really no reason why they shouldn't be responsible for taking back this this plastic and dealing it with it them, themselves. We don't even have in Canada laws that, you know, force companies then to to use resi- recycled content. So imagine like, we are there with our blue box, we're separating everything. But then, like, there's no obligation then to use that, that recycled plastic. So a company is going to say, well, what is the cost of virgin plastic? Okay, well, we'll just go for the virgin because we don't want to deal with the, with the recycled one.
0: And to hell with the, the environment. Um, so didn't I hear just recently Ontario was thinking of banning a single-use uh, Plastics as well.
1: Yes. Yeah, I put out a discussion paper just a couple of days ago. Vito has done about you know 10 <laughs> media stories on this and <laughs> we have we actually have a copy of, uh, of the discussion paper here. Um, yeah, so they they're musing about maybe considering a ban on some of these plastics that we really don't need, like single serving um, cutlery and straws and coffee stirs but also uh, the possibility of a deposit return system for mm. plastic bottles that I was discussing, and also, we hope, um, uh, a move to make these producers pay for the, okay. the material that they're actually producing. So, yeah, there's a public comment period for the next little while, and uh, we'll definitely be engaging that, i
2: sure. You know, we have uh, some level of skepticism that this government will do the right thing, but, you know, it may be their their chance to to do something good for the environment and, uh, and, and maybe also something good for, uh, for us citizens living in Ontario because uh, we probably are paying a bit too much the cost of, uh, of this uh, one ton per person that we generate of waste every year.
0: Uh, so with this, th- with this paper, this discussion paper, uh, are you are you encouraged by this, uh, or you said you were some some skepticism there? But uh...
1: well, I think people have skepticism because there's been so many environmental roadblocks from this government already. Mm-hmm. You know, the attack on the Green Belt, they're yep. getting rid of the climate plan. so that creates skepticism that right. they're serious. But I think with all governments, I mean, I, my approach is to take them at face value. So if they're saying that they want to do something about plastic, you know, we're going to show them how they could do something meaningful about plastic. And make sure that the public, uh, who is concerned about this, talks to them directly as well through the you know, mm. consultation uh, portal that they've set up, etc. So, I mean, there are our elected government; they got elected here. Environment is a critically important issue; they have to address it. Um, I'm going to assume that uh, they're going to do the right thing.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, of course, like this is a discussion paper. The, it's always it's the first step. They're mm-hmm. they're discussing we. You know they keep it open to many solutions, some solutions that we don't like particularly, like incinerating waste, and uh, which is not the most environmentally friendly way of dealing. Uh, it's like a, a tantamount to closing your eyes on a, on a problem. <laughs> well, it's changing
0: uh, the it's change it's just changing it from one to another, isn't it? It's yeah. incinerating it, turning it into a yeah, cloud and, 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 and dust. creating pollution. Yeah,
2: and uh, and and just not giving value to a material that is valuable. Mm. Um, so. We're hoping that from a discussion paper we go to an action paper, so that should be the next step. So actions are more important than discussion, but we need the discussion before.
0: Okay, well, uh, this sounds like a place where we have to take some action. We have to go to a break. We'll be right back on Moment of Truth after this. Back on Moment of Truth, I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. In Ottawa at 95.7, in Toronto 106.5. You can listen to us on the Radio Canada app, by downloading the app and uh, just typing in 106.5 Element FM, that is E-L-M-N-T, or 95.7 E L M N T FM, You can also listen uh, on our website anywhere around the planet if you have a connection that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> um, and uh, in the studio with me today, we have Tim Gray. He's Executive Director of Environmental Defense. We also have Vito Ponsade, uh, and he is... The Plastics Program Manager of Environmental Defense, uh, talking about some very important important issues and ones that are long overdue and also uh, things that we have been actually been been told by scientists for a, a number of of uh, decades now about what we need to be doing to protect our environment so that we can pass it on to our kids in a healthy way and uh, we are We seems to be that we are racing quickly towards. A, uh, a, a no, uh a no exit, uh no exit that we are going to be stuck in uh, at some point if we do not take very quick action to to do something we've been talking about plastics we've been talking about uh many of the things that that affect uh our our world our waters and uh, what we can do to to deal with those things there's a couple of things before we move on to uh Receipts, You know, the receipts you get as you buy something and you get handed, if you till, still take that uh, receipt with you and you're touching it, we we're going to tell you about some interesting uh, facts about that if you're not aware of them. But before we get there, there's a couple of things that if, I don't know if you guys have any, any input into this or any mm. comments on, but I wanted to ask. One, salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we put a lot of salt on the roads.
1: We do. Uh, we're, we're working on that actually in our water program at the office. And uh, we put way more on the roads, and in particular on private parking lots, these mm. parking lots we see around here, than is actually needed to, to melt the snow. Mm. Um, and a lot of the reason for that, we, when we talk to people that are doing it, is that they are nervous about liability. I heard they that, think yeah. that, Oh, if we don't cover the right. parking lot in like three inches deep of out. salt, then right. we're going to get sued when someone yeah. slips and falls. Um, but there are ways of of addressing that. There's like a certification program uh, around that that will reduce the liabilities because you can demonstrate that you've actually put on an adequate amount. So if someone does mm. slip and fall, you can say, well, you know, it's it's because you slipped and fell, not because there was uh, yeah. an adequate amount of salt. But it is really important that it be reduced because we have uh, some of the um, the streams and and rivers leading into Lake Ontario here in the city that in the in the spring, uh, conservation authorities testing the water and. They're saltier than the ocean, so you know you could uh, you know go catch some cod and you know throw them in the Humber River in the spring, and they would probably do quite well. Um, it's unbelievable, and obviously very toxic to freshwater.
0: And, and what is that uh, doing to the plant life, uh, to the 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 insects, to the the, the you know the the, the 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 little fish and the you know, minnows and things that live? killing them. <laughs> Well, that that's affecting the chain of uh, a food chain then. Right? Yeah, of
1: course it is. Yeah, I mean, you have this big pulse of salty water in the spring, and for a lot of species it coincides with uh, the peak of their breeding cycle. Mm. I mean, you think about what all the uh, insect life that comes out in the spring, right. many of those have a phase of their life where they're in the water, in the creeks and rivers, and if they're encountering a big pulse of salt water at that time, then... Uh, they're not going to survive, mm. and similarly, a lot of fish species breed at that that yeah. time of year. So, yeah. the, the, generally, the you know, most life forms—it's the the larval forms or the the uh, juvenile forms of an animal that are most sensitive to environmental pollution. Sure. And so, if they're experiencing it at that time, you can count on a lot of mortality.
0: I guess people wouldn't complain if it was mosquitoes that were being affected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably doesn't hurt the mosquitoes. They probably like it. Yeah, they probably think salt, it's like salt and vinegar. Are thriving or in it? Yeah. <laughs> The other thing I'm wondering about, and I again I don't i this was just something I thought about maybe a year or so ago, mm. and I saw one thing online about it, but I've never seen anything more about it ever that is our tires mm. there are millions of millions of vehicles on the road, and about every four years or so we have to replace our tires because they wear down, mm-hmm. and all that rubber that was on those tires went somewhere yeah. and it's going back into the environment i'm sure it's getting washed away from the roads it's being you know i mean it, do you guys know anything about this at well, all
2: well i mean we just spoke about like those tiny pieces of plastic that yeah. uh, well that's an example of a, what is called like a microplastic like uh, you know uh, these uh, uh, these tires are made of plastic and and they as you said like they wear off and they and and you know they're washed washed off by the rain and and uh, and all that that plastic and ends up in uh, in waterways on top of that a lot of these tires can contain like uh, some harmful chemicals like yeah. PAHs polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons which are nothing good mm-hmm. uh, and you know in some jurisdiction they've been banned uh, but still the plastic itself, as for any other microplastic can build in the food chain and, you know, in the sediment, in our lakes, and in the oceans.
0: The, the, the composition of a tire, there's rubber, obviously. Um, what, what are some of the other things, do you guys know, of that are in there?
1: Yeah, I don't know the, all the chemical composition of the tire, um, but there's all, in addition to the compounds that make up the rubber part of it, there's also steel in the, right. They put steel treads yep. in there to give them increased resistance to puncturing and make them last longer. But, yeah, they, they do have breakdown products that give off both toxic chemicals that can go directly into the waterways yeah. and then end up into plants and animals as well as the, the micro components that, you know, animals can eat.
0: So let's move on. Uh, thanks for that, guys. Let's move on to uh, receipts. Uh, and you guys have this uh, on your website that, that anybody can download and look at. It's called The Hidden Cost of Receipts. How BPA and BPS find their way into our bodies? Mm-hmm. What a lovely thought! <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is something that you know I did not realize. But you know what? It's interesting when, when as soon as as I looked at this, you can tell by the feel when you get some yes, of you, you can just tell. It's just like, what am I touching? This mm. doesn't feel healthy. Mm. Um, so, can you guys take us through this, please? Uh,
1: yeah. So, BPA is a is a chemical that has been used in the, the lining of food cans and baby bottles and, and other things. It's, it makes um, plastic more flexible, and uh, which you know is a, a physical attribute that they you know, wanted to use to make line um, metal cans, you know, for like canned beans or things like that. Uh, it was inside of uh plastic bottles it was in um uh in the in the actual chemistry of of hard plastic bottles and but we know that it leaches out and uh this chemical is what's called a, a hormone mimic so what that means is that once it gets into your body that it mimics um the natural hormones that our bodies produce that control our uh how our bodies operate and so these chemicals don't need to be present at very high levels to have an effect so this isn't like lead or arsenic or other things, which the more you get, the more poisonous they are, because this is a metabolically active chemical that even a few molecules uh, can have an impact because your body is programmed to respond to very few of these chemicals uh, in nature. And that's how we control our own metabolism. So they've been linked to uh, all kinds of problems, obesity, breast cancer, etc., uh, about ten years ago, Canada was the first country to ban their use in baby bottles because you know kids were, you know, drinking uh, formula and stuff out of bottles filled with BPA, and as I mentioned before, it's it tends to be uh, like kids or or young animals that are most susceptible to uh, chemicals like this, so they banned them there. But then uh, over the last uh, 10 years, they've become increasingly uh, found in receipts. And these are the receipts that almost everyone gets nowadays. And they're the ones that are created by thermally treating paper. So it's that sort of slippery paper. If you remember back 10, 15 years ago, a lot of the receipts you might get at a store were printed. It was like a blue ink on paper. You see almost none of those now. And so this BPA, um, when it goes through a machine, uh, they the, the receipt machine is heating that chemical and causes it to turn color. And that's that's how it works. That's why they use it. Um, Would this but be the it, same
0: as photocopying as well? No, it's not no the same way. chemicals
1: in okay. photocopying. Um, this is uh, a bit different, although okay. the principle sounds similar. Um, so, But when you get the receipt, uh, these chemicals come off in your hand. And mm-hmm. we recently did a, a study with our staff and um, and Bruce Laurie and, and Rick Smith, who just recently uh, – published a book called Slow Death by Rubber Duck. And we, we got together and uh, um, the four of the people that were involved in the experiment um, didn't eat food from cans where there's still BPA, didn't touch receipts for a week, and then just uh, got receipts from a regular shopping day and sat down over lunch and handled them and then uh, measured the amount of BPA in their blood. And it, it's, it just spiked unbelievably. And that's because um, BPA actually gets into your body more effectively uh, through your skin than it does even through your stomach. Like if you eat a can that has BPA in it, you're going to get less of it in your body than if you're touching these receipts. So, uh, And in addition, we found that if you are using... Those hand, hand sanitizer, hand sanitizers. Yes, I saw that in here. It's the alcohol, sure. and the hand sanitizer actually uh, helps mobilize the BPA through your skin and, and increases uptake. So this is obviously a problem just for regular people and uh, day-to-day mm. shopping. But can you imagine the occupational uh, risk to people that might work in a, in a retail outlet that are handling tens or hundreds of receipts a day? They're being constantly exposed yeah. to uh, this chemical, and it's going into their bodies through their skin. So our next step on this is to work directly with – obviously to try and get government to do something about it, but uh, work directly with retailers to get them to switch. There Mm -hmm. are alternative chemicals that are not biologically active, like Mm -hmm. BPA and BPS, that will do the same thing, like Mm -hmm. give you a receipt. Mm -hmm. And it also has the advantage, um, which has got nothing to do with toxicity, but convenience, is that everyone will remember that if you keep these receipts, if you're a person that needs to keep receipts for submitting them at your office or doing them at tax time, they fade away really quickly, Mm -hmm. The alternatives don't fade. Yeah, the alternative ones uh, um, you can you know go back and file your income tax a year later, and you're not going to be doing it with receipts that right. no one can read. So there's some advantages just in terms of their functionality as well that the
0: alternatives. And I guess one of those alternatives that you guys uh, mention is is having a, an e receipt uh, that's sent to you. Yeah. Um uh so anybody that uh might be thinking about this that that's one alternative you could consider to do although I know it gives them your your email address. <laughs> yes, which they will be hounded to buy things for <laughs> <That's> sure. <right. laughs> but uh there's uh, there's always that that cost of well of you just need
2: to keep uh, your you know an email address only for yeah. receipts. And, yeah. You know, like <laughs> then just you delete them all. Yeah, that's or right. Or you, you know, always say I don't receipt. want to know
0: anything uh, I don't want to take your uh, your your, yeah. your advertisements or get notifications. Thank you.
2: I mean I think the the what what was the most shocking part for me on the story for BPA is that when uh, uh, when uh, you know the the Canadian government was asked to comment on this uh, on this experiment that we made they were like well we don't feel we don't think that this is a problem for the general population it may be only a problem for uh for those working like for cash- uh, for you know mm. working as a cashier and and generally they don't look at occupational exposure which
0: You know, Mm. it's a bit shocking if you think like
2: you're working a job that has a risk uh, included into it and and your government considers that as an acceptable risk. And I think, you know, we should protect workers even more uh, if they, you know, if there's a risk that is embedded in their work.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, did you guys say that that this has been banned from containers? Uh, Baby bottles. Just what about milk containers or no just baby are they bottles. still used in those kind of things?
1: Yeah, they're still being I mean, you see a lot of companies have moved to remove BPA from water bottles. You'll see like BPA free on like if you right. buy a water bottle. Unfortunately, uh, a bunch of them have substituted the BPA for BPS, which has very similar uh, impact and and metabolic um, impact in your mm. body. That is one of the problems we have with the chemical regulatory system in Canada, which we're trying to reform. Is that you know, they, they call it unfortunate substitution, which mm. is you have a chemical that uh, you know you have repeated research shows it's a problem, uh, it gets addressed through a, a ban or a reduction, but then the the chemistry industry just in- introduces a chemical that is functionally the same. Mm. You know, has a couple of different molecules which fundamentally don't change the way it, it, it operates in the human body has a slightly different name mm. and it comes onto the market um, I think most people don't realize that you know if you like things like pharmaceuticals like if there's a new drug that is going to be used on humans they have to test it and test it and test it before it can be introduced into the market if it's a chemical that is not meant to have a medicinal uh, effect and it's a chemical that's just being used to like soften plastic or as a additive in cans you don't have to test the impacts mm. of that on human health you introduce it first and then after the fact you worry about whether or not it's a problem. <laughs> So uh, it's it's a, it's a very strange approach to yeah. introducing novel chemicals into the yeah. environment. It and sure the, chem-
2: the chemical industry has been playing this game of, you know, adding a carbon to uh, a banned chemical to make a new one. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been in meetings, like I've been working on chemicals also for quite a long time. And, you know, we're banning a phthalate, which is an, another of these, these chemicals that has the same impact and... Uh, and they would say like, oh, we'll just make another one.
0: Mm. Uh, so it, now what about uh, containers that are on shelves that uh, have beverages that normally would be refrigerated? Is this the same kind of thing or is is you know what I mean? Like they have uh, uh, almond milk and those kind of things right, that you can yeah. get that aren't, that aren't refrigerated. You, you refrigerate them after you open them, but they're on the shelf.
1: Yeah, those uh those have been pasteurized like so, you know, a, a milk product that's on a in a sealed carton on a shelf. Yeah. It's had all the bacteria in it right. killed yeah. uh, either by heating or radiation, usually more often by heating. And uh because there's no exposure to an, any kind of new bacterial source cuz it's in a sealed package, mm then it can sit on the shelf for a long time. But is that, there
0: anything in the packaging that's concerning There could there? be, but it's oh, not well, dependent yeah. on it. The shelf right. life is
1: not dependent on like, right. having BPA in it. Right, right. Okay. BPA is not a preservative. Okay. It's like a plastic softener. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, great, guys. We're coming close to the end of the show. We have a few minutes left. I'm just wondering if there's anything else you guys feel uh, you'd like to mention that you, that you want to talk about that we haven't touched on, but you want to make sure we get the message out there.
1: Yeah, I think uh, we talked a little bit about uh, oceans and water. And I think uh, that's really worth repeating, I think, is uh, just what's going on with that. The UN Environment Report that came out yesterday talked a lot about the impact of climate change on oceans. And uh, I think that's something that people don't necessarily always think about, is as the carbon dioxide level rises in the atmosphere, that carbon dioxide dissolves in the ocean and actually is making the ocean more acidic. And why that matters is that um, any uh, animal in the ocean that uh, turns um, uh, or makes shells, right? So that could be mussel or any kind of shellfish or lobsters or crabs um, or anything that builds a coral reef requires the ocean to be uh, at certain acidity. And that's changing. And um, the UN talked about the, the coral reefs may be disappearing over the next 10 years.
0: Great. Thank you very much. We have to leave it there, guys. Thank you so much for coming in today. Tim Gray, Executive Director of Environmental Defense, and Vito Bonsade, the Plastic Program Manager. Thank you so much for coming in, guys.
2: Thanks a lot. Thanks, David.